I'm Jody Whites, Results and Success Coach, and these podcasts teach you how to make significant changes to live your dreams, make a positive impact on the world, and drop your regrets. It's time for you to get spectacular. Welcome back to Your Spectacular Life. I'm Jody Whites, your professional coach, helping you to get nothing less than spectacular in both your life and your business. I'm thrilled to have Philip Topham on my show today. Hi, Philip. Hello, and great to be here. All right. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Philip. Philip Topham is an entrepreneur, coach, author, patent and inventor, and host of the Save Founder Podcast. Philip's passion is to help business owners and founders shorten their journey. He is particularly good at helping leaders to develop their personal capacity to build and grow their business. With more than 25 years across startups and corporate roles, Philip has been everything from janitor to CTO, CIO, to the founder and chief everything officer. He has solved problems others said could not be solved. Philip has built a business from zero to profitability, selling more than five million to big pharma and changed the way the pharmaceutical industry operates. Philip is an armchair sociologist with peer review publications in social networks analysis and machine learning. He holds a BS in biological sciences from UC Irvine and an MBA from Pepperdine University. Boy, Philip, you have traveled the world and literally and done so much in business. And it looks like it's mostly in tech. Have you always been interested in tech? Yes, always been interested in tech. I came of age when the personal computer came into existence for some of the audience. They might have heard of things like the Commodore 64, the TRS-80, <laughs> the Apple II computer. Uh, that was my teenage years. So, yes, I saw it splash onto the screen and never uh, thought, gee, this is going to change things. And it did. Absolutely. Well, I know there were so many of those early computers. Um, did you, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing biological science degree. Did you work with both? I don't even know whether biotech was around then, but how did you slide into that? Very, uh, boy. So like many, when you're that age, you, you have certain perceptions uh, mine was is uh, as working parents as as immigrants to the United States. They said, you know, get a computer, get a get a degree, and you'll have a job for a lifetime. <laughs> and I was going to college at coming right out of the oil embargo, the Middle East oil embargo. So there was recessions. Uh, starting college, 
uh, didn't have anybody in my social circle that would have been an engineer, um, <laughs> a lawyer. You know, we were working class people. So, you know, I wanted to be in, I was smart, wanted to be in science, uh, but I didn't know what an engineer did. Computers were starting. So I said, oh, well, I'll just do a four-year degree, get biological sciences. Maybe I'll do pre-med, go into medical research, uh, but continue to read computer stuffs. And I even looked at the computer science degree, walked over to the computer science department, looked around, saw their big computer room with these minis and mainframes <laughs> and said, gee, what are you doing about all this new PC stuff? Where's, Ooh. and I, and they said, ah, we don't need to do that. And I said, well, you're a bunch of stuffy old men and don't know <laughs> what you're doing. So I continued on my biology degree, uh, figuring that would work. Uh, but all through school, I probably read more computer books than textbooks, uh, self-taught myself com uh, com basic computer programming, assembly language programming, Ooh, Pascal yeah. programming. Um, I have a story of finally deciding I wanted to take a, com a computer class to prove I knew what to do. I took a computer class that year to decided to create a computer non-major class so that I was forced into that. <laughs> I I remember coming back one day to class to take the midterm exam and the professor is passing out the results of the exam. I had Ooh. completely missed Ooh. the test uh, yeah. because I never showed up to class. Uh, okay. So he demanded that I, well, I could either drop the class or make my final my grade. And I said, I'll take the final as my grade. I How scored the highest in the Ooh, class. And right so he was on. he was very upset at me. And he said, <laughs> why did you take the class then? He says, well, if you recall, I asked you whether I could test out and get the credits and you refused me. So yeah, that was it. So that's oh, that was my experience in in college and computers and, and that i'm assuming just you know paved the way if you could study on your own and be excited about the projects and and computers in general then that was your thing now tell me about your first tech job where where did you start? What was it like? How organized were they? Because I know you're, you really work up with startups, but tell me a little bit of background on that. Oh boy. I, my, my first job in my first job would have been in computers was literally still in high school uh, and doing word processing. So it was, these new things called K-Pro computers or Osborne computers, WordPerfect, uh, VisiCalc uh, yeah. were all the rage and nobody knew how to do, uh, use them. Uh, well, I knew how I'd self-taught, I knew how to use them. And so I got a, a job as a typist effect. <laughs> I would call it a typist, uh, but I was a word processor and I was making, uh, I, I can't remember, $10, $12 an hour, Ooh. which back in that day yeah. was double the minimum wage. Sure. Uh, and so that's that would be my very first sort of paid to work on computers. Wow. Um, yeah. That, that's great. And I love how you got in there. I love those older programs, VisiCalc. And I, you know, used those many years ago as well. 
now let's fast forward. Um, you know, you have 25 years of experience with corporate and startup roles. Let, let's focus on startups. Why startups? What's interesting about them? Boy, what's interesting about them? <laughs> what isn't interesting? What isn't interesting, interesting about? Right, uh, you, I, you, we so, could take any angle. <laughs> yeah, so, so startups. Uh, I, I like to say I've had a long-term, slow love affair with startups. <laughs> right. So, growing up in the computer industry, you can't help but see the birth and death of companies along the way, and. I was at a point where I was doing my own startup. I was at the University of California, Irvine. I was sitting in the audience. They were talking about how to go about getting funding and how to run your business. And I'm and I'm listening to the advice and going, I know more than the guy who's on stage. Okay. <laughs> and so so that that sort of got me into the the really wanting to help startups in in that space. Um and along the way, while I was doing so, I really got mad at at investors, and mm. I got mad at Silicon Valley investors, and it, you know what I would call, and I'm not particularly Silicon Valley. I'd say the wannabe Silicon Valley investors. Uh, why okay. is that? Why right, did you right? get so? Mad? What I saw was uh, these new startups with these, uh, whether they was a college student, a professor, a new. Um, didn't know matter what it was, using tech to drive a high-tech, high-growth business, they would go, invariably, they would start, they would pitch their idea, and the, the investor would go, come back when you have an MVP, right? And, sure. and then they would go off, and they would spend their time and energy and make a minimum viable product, and they would come back and say, Mr. Investor, what do you think? And they'd go, come back when you have your first revenues. And, yeah. and I found this super disingenuine. They really should have just said, look, I'm this kind of investor. This is my investment thesis. When you have revenues of this amount and you're in this space, I don't care, fintech, ag tech, prop tech, software as a service, IoT, pick your pick your poison. You know, whatever my investment thesis is, they should have just said that. Yeah. And instead they led on would-be founders and really gave them some um bad advice they i don't even think they realized they were giving bad advice and it really frosted me um that's the main issue at beef i have but there's a second beef i have and that is the true silicon valley investor recognizes that for every investment they've got nine or ten or other failures and they applaud the people willing to try and go, you helped make the industry forward. You know, not, not every, you know, IoT, Internet of Things company made it, but they were very happy to invest in them because one of their portfolio would carry everything. Yep. Places outside of Silicon Valley have a different attitude. Like if you, if I invest in you and you fail, then you are a failed and you are a failed entrepreneur versus no, they they helped raise the industry and they were brave. They were heroes. They should be treated as heroes. And so the non, the wannabe Silicon Valley investors, the ones that come out of 
real estate investment or made their money on an exit, you know, they don't really understand the Silicon Valley investment mindset. And again, they give bad advice and they treat these heroes as failures. And so those are two motivators for me to try to change the dialogue that's out there. Wow. Um, I, I totally agree with you. You know, it's, it's it, with the VCs, it's really a dog eat dog world in that they, they are leading these people, not necessarily supporting them in a positive way. And on one hand, yes, that startup is, you know, getting their product together, getting their financials together. But on the other hand, there is that lack of support. So Philip, how do you support startups? Yeah, my, my mission for 2023 is to see more technical founder success stories. So I particularly support them in two broad categories. One is a those companies where they've they've started getting traction and and moving forward. I really help with the that business strategy. Do you do this first? Do you do that first? Yeah. And and really helping them go from what I call the chief everything officer syndrome to the chief executive officer syndrome. And that's sort of the business strategy, the how to build a company, worry about the corporate culture, worry about employees, worry about the 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 things you can do now that will last a long time. Like I'm a firm believer in, in culture, openness, honesty is is embedded in the start of the DNA of the business. And I think that's one key area. Yeah, but um, how, let's say you are working with a the CEO or the founders to actually lead the company, all right? You're training them to look farther than, um, you know, two years, five years, and not be involved in the day-to-day -day chief everything officer. That takes scaling. It also takes funds. What do you say to somebody who's wants to scale, but is not at that place yet as far as founders? Yeah. So, so that's a different, that's a different thing, right? So I also, so one of the things I do with the earlier stages is help them level set and really understand where they are on that journey and serve more as a coach in the sense of um, all the imposter syndrome that happens and all the worry, am I doing, am I working on the right thing? Am I treating, you know, th those are, those are things that are very small impact can make a big difference. So I work with that kind of person very differently. And it's really to help them set their own expectations of how fast they can move and the choices that they're faced. But I also challenge them to say, are you are, are you stuck in the way that you're doing things? For example, technical founders particularly are are will in the morning get up and choose to do something technical because it's immediately gratification they can look, do it right. and they think that they can hire say the chief financial officer somebody to do the finances or they can hire somebody to do the sales and it's one of the things that I'd advise is the biggest mistake because there's no ability for that founder to have even a conversation with the finance person like what's cash flow what is a 
what should be my net profit and my cost of goods. There's not even a basis of a language. And so I tell the tech, those technical founders, you don't have to be the, the expert, but learn enough vernacular to know what choices you're making and making a choice to code. If we're yeah. talking to pick, you know, we let's <laughs> pick it. on a programmer. If you're yeah, making a choice to pick up to program, yeah. then you're not making a choice to build the business. Right. And so that's, that's more of a, uh, for somebody that's willing that the reality is most people have to go on their own journey. Um, they'll stub their toe. My job as the coach is to minimize the, the, you know, the issues that they face themselves, never put, you know, never let them put themselves out of business or destroy their relationships, but they're still going to get up in the morning and code right. more often than not. And that's, well, that's a coaching role. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's comfortable because the more yeah. they code, the farther along they feel they are with the end product. And, yeah. um, I, I would imagine that that could be fairly challenging to say, you know, yes, code from this time to this time, look at those business issues about building the business, what you yeah. have here. Um, and again, everybody is on their own journey. And I'm curious about how you've been successful in the past in flipping that mindset of founders so you you never you never you never go into a situation and are able to go here flip your mind <laughs> right you, we could we could just look at our political system and it doesn't it doesn't happen but but what you can do is you can be very you know and what i do is i'm very authentic and say you, you know your your choice will come a point where you hit a roadblock, right? And and all I'm going to say is in the most earnest of ways, you're setting yourself up for this problem that you will have. When you finally decide you're right, Phil, you had, I hit this problem, I did it wrong, help me learn to do it differently, then it makes sense, right? They're ready to make that change. That transformation can only come from within. So I can be authentic and say, I'm going to be very blunt and very honest with you. Here's where you compare to other companies. Here's how you compare to other people that have been on the journey. But please, it's your journey. Don't judge yourself by other people. If it takes you a year to learn it, no problem. As long as you're making a step forward, that's great. Just make sure you're in it for the right reasons. Yeah, I... Um... I, I can imagine you would be very honest <laughs> with founders, nothing held back, but but you are right. And I think by warning business leaders that you will kind of be stuck in these areas unless you change it, you know, I know you need to do what you need to do now. And I'm here to support you in that roadblock. And um, that's that's a great thing because you do understand the process. Absolutely, I give you I give you an example. There's a gentleman I met uh, probably two years ago now, and wonderful Internet of Things type company. And as they started scaling, I said, 
you know, here are your top three things you're going to be faced with. This is, you know, and I'll just say this, this is, these are the three things. Um, and, and sure enough, but, you know, a year into the project, the person said you, you were spot on, right? Right. Uh, however, they still weren't ready to, you know, they didn't have enough funds to do anything. And, but, but it built the trust in me that they said, now we have, we're, we've got the funds, we've had some phenomenal things happening, and we realize we don't have the, the management bench strength to take us to the next level, right? We're missing that. And, and it's the combination of um, not how to do a task, but how to organize the business and the cadence and some of this soft, what I always call the soft, squishy stuff. <laughs> that that has to be put into a process yeah but the process isn't important it's how it feels <laughs> and and you as a, a business person as well Jody understands that whereas we, you know sometimes we always talk about process but it's it, the process isn't important as well as the outcome and and, and outcome yeah i i love the way you put that i mean here you are uh tech guy talking about the way it feels. I mean, these are these qualitative versus quantitative areas that we have to make sure are flowing well. What is the startup, uh, the founder relationships? Um, where is the communication? Where is the culture? You know, what is the glue between the cracks of these processes that are going to make things much smoother to manage and to work out? So yeah. um, I love that. I love uh, Phil is talking about feelings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, 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 yeah, I've often said technology is, it, it, this is, this catches people by surprise. I say yeah. technology is worthless. <laughs> I, it, it, it is really up to the people using the technology to make it work. So I use, you know, I could give a, I could have a talented group of carpenters and if all they had were hand tools, they could still make some beautiful pieces of furniture. I mean, look at the Amish. They make some phenomenal things <laughs> with the tools that they have. Yeah. Just giving them power tools doesn't make them artistic furniture builders, <laughs> right? Right. I like that. <laughs> the Amish. Yeah, gorgeous stuff. So, Phil, what's up for you in 2023? What are maybe your top two goals or three goals. Um, give me an, an idea about that where you know you are going to put some energy into making something happen. Good question. So the first was historically I have uh found people through referrals. And the the industry is certainly all social media. The new generation doesn't even know how to do referral networks. Uh, they only know how to look at, you know, influence marks and quant and, and, and stuff. And I, I realized that's how that message is out there. So I'll be putting out content and really making a concerted effort to help uh, push my message out there, particularly around the, the that Silicon Valley dance, as well as this, this technical mindset. Um, 
a lot of there's a lot of things baked into that and i'll be expanding both the um i'll say the non-mechanics uh content so there's tons of youtubes what's the mechanics of a pitch deck what do you have to have what do you not have to have how do you create a component there's a lot of how to's yeah but there's not a lot of whys like why do i need it and how does how do i know that this is feels like the right pitch deck how do i know that this competitive matrix is conveying the right message for me and that's going to be a big piece of my content is how to how to move away from the how to's into the why's and wherefores so those are the two things exactly and um you know you of course it's going to take experimentation who you can engage with but you know we've talked about this before is pain points you know the the why why are you not why is your business not successful why are you not getting off the ground instead of do this and this and this i believe everybody is very individual in the way they build their business and they have individual problems and we have to understand who they are in order to provide solutions totally agree and and one of the things that that sometimes uh in the startup world sometimes people think that a startup is like one founder or two founders and they have no resources. In fact, I'm, I'm, there's a good part of the constituency out there and I want to, that they already have a traditional business, right? They've got some sort of business. They see some sort of competitor has some new technology and they go, gee, how can I do that? I want to build an app for that. And so they, they sometimes don't think of themselves as this high tech, high growth founder. And they really are. They're trying to take a traditional business of the way they've done things, add some technology and probably change the business model, you know, change it from a heavy labor model to a technology model. And that's a tremendous amount of new skills, new skill sets. And that's also the, you know, to me, this high tech, high growth. And they, so many of them get sucked into that Silicon Valley dance, right? Oh, I'm going to make an app. So I need to go get the Silicon Valley investor and have a pitch deck. And I go, what? That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy talk. Right. All you need is to fit, you know, if you know your customers have a great thing, then you need your customer discovery and get your partnerships and get your product going and build the teams. Right. So to me, those are the other, the unsung startup, high tech, high growth startup folks that have, you know, years of industry knowledge. They just don't know how to use the new technology scalability tools to unleash that growth that they have in their that idea in their head. So I want to unleash those ideas. That's that's wow. what gets me excited. Yeah, that that's great. I am behind you on that one. That's wonderful, Philip. So how can our listeners get in contact with you? Absolutely. So there's two two primary ways. I'm always on LinkedIn, so they can always <laughs> find me on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, Philip Topham, P H I L I P T O P H A M. So that I'm there. And then uh, if they want to talk to me, they can ask the savvy founder dot you can book dot me. 
Okay. And uh, and if they want to ask, they I if they are interested in pitch decks, I do have a the ten most common mistakes for the pitch decks, and and it's <laughs> a it's a tongue in it's sort of a tongue in cheek. Uh, for example, know what you're pitching, and it's not a tent. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you today, Philip. Really good ideas, really good goals on helping helping folks really be successful in maybe not the traditional way. And I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot out of this conversation and potentially uh, checking in to you and your offerings as a founders coach. All right. It's been my pleasure, Jody. Thank you very much. Oh, my mind too. All right, Philip, you take care. Okay. And um, good luck with these goals. I'm so grateful that you've listened to the end of this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review it, and share it with your friends. I love teaching insights so that you can have a more impactful and meaningful life. It's my mission to build a thriving community of happy, fulfilled people. Want more? Visit my website at yourspectacularlife.com. Dot com.